I just want to welcome you again to our second night of our marriage mini-series. We added some extra chairs for you guys, so it shouldn't be as crowded as it was last week. We are really, really glad that you guys are all here. I'm really excited to hear from Chris. I know last week I gained a lot from what he had to say, and today we're going to be talking about conflict and communication, so I know it's going to be really rich tonight as well. So just a couple of reminders. If you are a note-taker and you didn't bring anything to write on or with, we have some paper and pens in the back that you're welcome to use. Um, And if you haven't signed in, do so when you leave. Um, And next week will be our last and final of this marriage mini-series, but mark your calendar. We're going to be doing these marriage mini-series several times throughout the year. The next one is coming up in August, and it's going to be on financial health, which affects all of us in some way, um, the health of our finances. So put that on your calendar. It'll be another three-week mini-series. And with that, I'm going to introduce you again to Chris's better-looking half. <laughs> Emily Montgomery is going to get us kicked off for tonight. Thank you again for coming. All right, it's great to see you guys back this week. So um, last week we started with a little icebreaker. We're actually going to end with a little icebreaker this time. But um, as we have some more people coming in, I just wanted to start with a couple of stories to make sure that our pastor um, remains relatable and humble. Um, so... Um, I was thinking this week, I'm staying at home this summer with Eddie Ray, and I feel like sometimes all we do is we get up and have breakfast and then a snack and then lunch, and I just feel like it's just food and cleanup and da da da. So I was thinking about one of his favorite treats. He doesn't get this often, but one of his favorite candies I was thinking this week kind of reminds me a lot of um, how a spouse can be or how marriage can be. And so I have one hidden back here. Um, Sour Patch Kids. Um, <laughs> they are. I love those commercials that they do, but they're so sweet on the inside. But man, sometimes on the outside, they, they can have um, a little sour flavor. And we're talking about communication tonight. That can be kind of like a Sour Patch thing as well. So I thought I would tell a sweet and sour story on Chris. So a sweet one when he was a sweet little Sour Patch Kid. Um, let's see. We got married in June of 2007. So in August, I had started my first teaching job. I'm a high school Spanish teacher, and so I had gotten my first high school job. It was my first big day. You know, I had planned and prepared for this. I had trained for this for years and was so excited about that day. Um, I had all my lessons ready and everything, and it was a great day, but um, I think I had 150 kids every day that year. Big classes. I was 22. I had students that were 18. It was just a wild and busy day. So I taught. I got that first day done, and it was awesome. And the day ended, and I called Chris. I had a great day. Like, it was awesome. I can't come home. Um, I had to stay and prepare. At the time, I was also teaching adult Spanish classes through a continuing education program at the um, local community college in Muscle Shoals. So I had to stay in my classroom and prepare for that class, which was two and a half hours long. So I prepared for that, drove across the river to Muscle Shoals, taught that class. That class went awesome, and they were so proud that my first day of teaching high school had gone well because I had been teaching them for several months. And so then I drove back across the river to where we lived in Central to our um, little home that we shared together, which we affectionately called the bungalow. It was 800 square feet. And I pulled up in the driveway and just sat there, and I thought, when I go in that house, and it was 9 o'clock at night, I have to prepare for my high school class tomorrow. (laughs) And I just 
I think I, I think I was able to hold in the tears temporarily. I still had some adrenaline running through me. But Chris opened the door. Oh, welcome home, baby. I'm so glad you had a great first day. I'm so proud of you. He's just so chipper. And he said, dinner is in the oven. Okay, well, that's strange because you don't cook. So let's see what you have prepared. So I walked in the house, and he opened our little rinky-dink oven that we had and um, the two glass Pyrex dishes that we had. He had prepared in one Pyrex dish spiral pasta with a red sauce and cheese on top, and in the other Pyrex dish, penne pasta with Alfredo sauce and cheese on top. So two kinds of pasta. And we were in our 20s, so you can have carbs for dinner and it's okay. So he made my plate of these two pastas and I sat down and I needed it. I needed food. I was just so happy to have it and I was just eating and just crying. Oh, it's so good and I had a great day and everything's great. I, I, I got a plan for tomorrow. But he was so sweet in those moments when we, when we love on our spouses. And as Chris said last week, um, our happiness and joy, that's on us. And that's those are things that we need to seek from Christ. But when our spouse wants us to be happy and does things for us that bring us happiness and joy, man, that's a, that's a, that's a sweet Sour Patch Kid. Um, a little sour story. Let's see. When Chris and I started dating, he told me early on, I mean, before we went on a first date, um, when we go on a date, I will need to drive. Uh, even if it's your car, I can't ride with people in the car. I get very motion sick. Uh, okay. Okay. So he drove everywhere all the time. Over the years, um, other things popped up that Chris could not do because of this motion sickness. You know, Chris, come sit, come swing with me on this porch. I can't. I get very motion sick. <laughs> Okay, you know, can we rock on these rocking chairs at Cracker Barrel? No, no, I get motion sick. But in our four years of dating and then 10 years of marriage, I never actually saw this motion sickness happen. I just heard of what might happen if other things didn't work out correct. So, so we had been married 10 years and we were excited to celebrate that. So we went to Jamaica and stayed at a resort that had some activities included that we could choose from. So snorkeling was one of the offerings, and I really like to snorkel. So I said, Chris, let's go snorkeling tomorrow. You know, we're going to meet these other couples at 9 and snorkel, you know. So we had breakfast. You know, it was a rather hearty breakfast because everything's free, so you just overeat. And then um, we show up to go snorkeling with about six other couples, and we're all on this boat together. And the boat takes off into the ocean, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he gets motion sick. <laughs> and he started to look a little motion sick. I said, are you okay? No, I, I get motion sick. I'm going to get sick. And I thought, um, okay, well, I've never seen it happen, but, um, you know, you'll be okay once we get out into the open ocean and we can get out of the boat and snorkel. Everything will be okay. So he was, you know, he was hanging in there. The boat finally stopped, so we jump out to snorkel. Well, if you're snorkeling in the open ocean, it's, it still does this. So I just went ahead and said, all right, see ya. So I put my head down. I'm snorkeling. Chris's little body is moving, and then I, I feel like a whack on my back. Emily, I'm going to be sick. Really? Right now? Would you, we just got here. Yes. So I try to get him away from everybody else that's snorkeling. You know, can you go to the back of the boat? Um, I get the guy's attention on the boat and say, can you, can you toss us a life preserver? We might need that here. I think my husband's going to be sick. Oh, he got sick. Um, 
you know, I'll spare you the details, but that big breakfast came up um, there in the ocean. And I thought in that moment, all these years he's been telling the truth. <laughs> and, and then there's just, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a mess. And Chris, get behind the boat so nobody knows. And I just tell the guy on the boat, can we, can, can we wrap this up? Have we, has everyone had enough snorkel time? He said, five more minutes. So I just, I sat there with Chris as he demonstrated to me, he does, in fact, get motion sick. And we got back on the boat, and he's just, you know, just laying there pitiful. We get to land, he just walks in the sand and then just lays in a chair out there on the beach. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, honey, I, I, I didn't really think that was true, but now I totally believe you. I said, we will never go snorkeling again. So it took a long time, um, but I believe you, Chris. And um, yeah, you know, some moments in marriage are not, they're a little sour, you know, they're not, they're not the best, but we love our spouses regardless. All right, so I've been talking about Sour Patch Kids, so I'm going to let one of you enjoy this snack during Chris's talk. Oh, Chris, could you come help me? Could you stand right here? I'm going to give you the Sour Patch Kid, and whoever tells you this answer, they get the Sour Patch Kid bag. All right, let's see if y'all can complete this Bible verse. It kind of has to do with what we're going to be talking about tonight. It comes from Proverbs. So if you think you know how to finish or just want to guess, just holler it out, and Chris will toss you your prize. Okay, in Proverbs, the writer says, it is better to live in a desert than where? She said, in a house with a nagging wife. <laughs> yes, the verse reads, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. So we're going to talk about tonight how to not be nagging or quarrelsome, but communicate well. Good job, Melanie. She had to tell the vomit story. You know, I just, man. She didn't believe me forever. I was eating Dramamine like M&M's. It doesn't work. Welcome back, guys. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, I want to pray, and uh, then we'll jump into tonight's conversation. I did tell Emily, you do know I'm getting the mic after you, right? So, well, no, we'll be nice. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for um, the covenant of marriage. And Lord, even though it's not easy, uh, it is a blessing. And we see it from the very beginning in Scripture. And so as we live into this covenant, uh, as individuals coming together as couples, and as we talk about this tonight, I pray for your grace and your mercy to be here. I pray for your spirit to lead us. And would you speak to us? Whatever it is we need, would you speak? We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. Amen. All right, conflict in marriage. Um, obviously, every couple fights. Every couple. There is, now, hopefully that's less over time, obviously, but um, every couple has conflict. And if someone ever tells you that they don't, they are lying or they are delusional. Um, or something else could be going on. But um, we, we, over time, we learn to spar well, right? Uh, sometimes we... 
we just wear each other out and kind of lose the will to win, right? Which is not necessarily a bad thing. But fights are inevitable. I'm going to define fight here in a minute, what I mean by the term. Fighting is inevitable because disagreements are inevitable. And disagreements are inevitable because we are two people becoming one. Two completely different people becoming one flesh. And that is a lifelong process. Uh, that is not easy. And there are very hard, intense moments in that. So much so that we, we talk about this, we joke about this in life. Uh, everybody probably knows what a meme is. We have some of them here. If we can go to the first one, Ken. I love this. 90% of communication in marriage is yelling what from the other rooms in your house. See that? That's true. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Next. Behind every ang angry woman stands a man who has absolutely no idea what he, or what he did wrong. That's a good one. I like this one. When you, were thought, when you thought you were done arguing with your man, but then you hear him mumble something under his breath. <laughs> Married couples never apologize after an argument. They just ask dumb questions to get back on good terms like, was the stove still in the kitchen when you went in there? <laughs> oh, when you, get in, uh, when you get into a fight but you can't remember how it started, I don't know what we're yelling about. Oh. Ways to tell a woman's mad at you. Number one, she's silent. Number two, she's yelling. Number three, she acts the same. Number four, she acts different. Number five, she murdered you. <laughs> the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion it has taken place. Hmm, that's a good one. Love that one. Communication, the tagline is, the key to a happy marriage. Notice one bird's closing the other one's beak. Uh, the look you give your husband after he says something annoying and you're giving him a chance to fix it. That's a good one. Is that it? Yeah. Those are good. But we, we joke about this, we laugh about this uh, all the time. Uh, but, but arguing, fighting, tension, all of this is, it's a reality. It's a reality in marriage. And it's something that we have to wrestle with, we have to think through, and we have to go through as couples. Now last week I started with Paul in Ephesus and we talked about number one, the Temple of Artemis and the influence of the Temple of Artemis, this all-female cult, and so the female superiority that was taking place among the Ephesians. But also mixed with that, Ephesus was a Roman colony, had been since 133 BC, and so there was this Roman influence as well with the male superiority. Since I t started with Paul in ancient Greece, um, Last week, I want to start with Aristotle today. So, uh, you know who Aristotle is. You probably heard the name. Greek philosopher. He lived from like 384 to 322. And Aristotle uh, created what was called the Aristotle model of communication. Now, the Aristotle model of communication was basically centered around the speaker and the speech. Okay? And it basically breaks down into five movements or five categories, right? So it starts with the speaker, meaning the credibility of the speaker. 
Number two is the speech itself, the content of the speech. Is it good content? Right? Number three is the occasion, meaning the context in which that speaker is giving that speech. And then number four is the audience, the people that the speaker is communicating to. And then number five is the effect, that, that is the, the so what, the have I been influenced, have I been convinced in some way, okay? So speaker, speech, occasion, audience, effect. Now. The audience uh, in Aristotle's model is passive. They are only there to be influenced, right? It's the speaker's job to do all of the influencing on the audience. This makes communication a one-way process, right? It's just one way. It's from the speaker to the audience, and at the end, we're going to see if the receiver, the audience, is convinced of whatever argument it may be. This is much like preaching a sermon, by the way. You know, it's, it's like people sit up there and they're like, all right, Chris, convince me, you know. Sometimes they say it like that, you know. <laughs> but uh, the, by, the way, by the way, listening to a sermon is actually a lost art in how you listen to a sermon, but that'll be another topic for another day. That'll be fun. But this way of thinking, the Aristotle model of communication, is very much a part of who we are. It's very much a part of our society. It's very much a part of business, right? Doing a business pitch or taking a speech class, doing a persuasive speech, right? There are other models out there, obviously, but this whole idea of you sit, you listen, you learn, or you sit, you listen, you be convinced is the classic way of doing it, right? And technically, we're doing that somewhat right now. Although you're not a hostile audience that I'm trying to persuade, right? But there are things I'm trying to convince you of. This happens all the time. It happens all the time in society. Uh, and we're trained this way. We think this way. The problem is... This does not work in a healthy marriage. You sit still while I end still never works in a healthy marriage. You see, in communication in a healthy marriage, um, you don't need a lecture. In fact, you don't need a winner. You don't need someone to win. Especially when there's conflict, we need everybody to stay calm and we have to find some common ground on what we're arguing about, right? What happens so many times is the Aristotle model of communication kicks in. I want to dominate the conversation. I want to give you my argument. I want to win this argument. I want to convince you. I want to persuade you, right? I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to try to get you to come over to my side of the line so that I win and you agree with me and I can go to bed happy, right? It plays out all the time, all the time. And so we have to, in many ways, we're programmed to think this way. And, and we, have to, we have to kick into a different gear, if you will, mentally and spiritually, emotionally, if we're going to communicate in a healthy way in marriage. So, as I said, in marriages we fight. We do. The key is we have to learn how to fight well. If, if you're going to spend your marriage trying not to ever have a fight... It's never going to happen. It's 
never going to happen. There will be disagreements. So the definition that I want to give you that I'm using for fight tonight is just very simple. It is a disagreement that is verbalized or not, or not, between a married couple. That's how I'm defining fight tonight. It's a disagreement that's verbalized or it may be nonverbal, depending on if you're aggressive or passive-aggressive. I'll mention that in a minute. Um, that is verbalized or not verbalized between a couple. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to talk about before the fight, during the fight, and after the fight. Sound good? Did you bring your boxing gloves? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about before the fight. Um, if the assumption is there are going to be times when these two people who are very different people who are becoming one are going to disagree and that is going to be verbalized in some way or there's going to be nonverbal cues in that in some way. There's going to be tension in that relationship. If we already know that that's going to happen, you got a couple of options. You can either just like stick your head in the sand and say, no, not us, or whatever, or live in denial, or you can prepare for those moments. And so before the fight, I think there are some things you actually have to work out. All right? So the first thing I would say is you have to set the ground rules. You have to set the ground rules. And there are three things I want to say about that. Uh, number one, you cannot set the ground rules in the middle of a fight. So you have to set those when both of you are in a very calm place, when you are talking about some of those questions I gave you last week, right? And you're thinking about the future and who it is you want to be as a married couple, okay? So all I'm saying is you have to be calm whenever you set the ground rules, all right? So be in a good place whenever you and have healthy conversation around this. But number two, the two of you have to agree on them. They cannot be one-sided, right? Because if one person does not agree on a ground rule, they're not going to follow it. They're not going to follow it. And so you having your healthy conversations and a, uh, your honest and empathetic conversations, um, as you're thinking about who you want to be as a couple, right, you have to agree on these. You have to agree on these. And then number three, I would say this. Keep them very simple. You're going to need to. It's hard to remember complex things when you're mad. Right? <laughs> when emotion has kicked in and you are steaming or throwing up in the ocean. Um, it, it's hard to remember things that are complicated. So you have to keep the rules simple. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, two rules that Emily and I have. Number one. It's very simple. Is when we get mad at each other, when we get upset, when, when there's a disagreement, there is no yelling. No yelling. We talked about that. We talked through that. We put that in place even when we were dating. If we're upset, we're not going to yell. We're not going to raise our voice. We're both going to work very hard to keep our voices down because we know the more you raise your voice, the more tension it's going to create, right? And then this one gets louder than that one, and this one gets louder than that one. And not only do I not want to experience that, because I have seen it, but not only do I not want to experience it, I don't want my son to hear it. I never want him to hear me yelling at his mother. But even before we had children, that was the rule. 
Because we did not want an argument or disagreement to get out of hand, which it can. Next thing you know, you're yelling. Next thing you know, you're stomping. Next thing you know, you're throwing stuff around, and it just ex escalates. So that's one of our rules. Another one of our rules is this, is when we fight or in the middle of the fight, our parents will never know. Never. Not one time, I've been with Emily 18 years, not one time have I ever told my parents about a disagreement that she and I have had. Not one time. And same for her. Number one, I don't want, you know, a disagreement to blow up and then you kind of have this outlet that's outside the marriage. Number one. Number two, um, I will always be my mama's boy. And I was the firstborn, right? And my mama and daddy will love me. And she will always be her mom and daddy's girl. She's the baby of the family. They will always love her, right? And I don't want to do anything that would color in any way my parents' view of her. And same thing with her parents of me. So, those are two simple rules we have. Uh, one of them, again, no yelling. No yelling. We're not going to do that. And then number two, we're never going to tell our parents. Never. And so, you have to come up with yours. You have to agree on them, whatever they may be. And, and think through that. Think through that. I started to like give you like 10 examples or something. No, I think it's better if you work through that as a couple and really say, here's what we're going to agree upon. Here's what we're going to agree upon. Because it also plays into your personality in many different ways or your tendencies in other ways. Does that make sense? So you've got to set the ground rules. Uh, John 1.14 is a very important verse. It, it says a lot about the nature of Jesus. And it gives us, I think, a very important um, understanding of who Jesus is and how we are called to live. And that I think is pertinent to now. So John 1.14 says this. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. By grace, I'm referring back to what I said last week about empathy, right? The empathetic side of grace. By truth, I'm referring to what I said last week about honesty, Honesty. Remember the big equation I gave you last week was that a growing self-awareness plus, plus honest and empathetic conversations, that's what's going to lead you to marriage cultural awareness, right? So going back to the empathy and honesty here, I think we see it in these words grace and truth. You've got to have both of those at play in marriage. And so even as you're setting your ground rules, you, th you have to think through how does that play out for us? How can we be both empathetic toward each other, show grace, and honest? There is truth there. Because as I said earlier, this is hard. This is really hard. And marriage is one of the most sanctifying relationships you will ever have in life. Ever. Because... They know you. Right? They know when you're stretching the truth a little. They know when you're telling a white lie. I mean, they know you. They know you. 
and, and they know you better than anybody on the planet, or at least they should. They should. And so this is a very sanctifying part of life, um, and it stretches us. All right? So you have to engage in those conversations with honesty, uh, with empathy, or with grace and with truth, and, and set those ground rules out. All right. Second thing I think you have to do is you have to remember, well, let's put it this way, always try to keep a healthy perspective. Always try to keep a healthy perspective. You know, the truth is, you're probably going to fight about things um, that really aren't going to matter six months or a year from now. Right? I mean, have you ever done that? It's like, why are we fighting about this? Ha- happens all the time. And, and so just remember that. Ask yourself, is this really important? I mean, are we really going to care about this in 30 days or whatever? 30 minutes, for that matter. Right? Is this really worth arguing over? The second thing I would say about that is that you have to control your inner negative dialogue that is only hypothetical. Okay, you have to control that inner negative dialogue that is in your brain that is only hypothetical, not grounded in reality. You know how you, I mean, we work ourselves up so many times worrying about hypothetical situations or whatever with our spouse. And it's, they're, they're not grounded in reality at all. Not grounded in reality at all. And, and I, I say this all the time, you've probably heard me say this, and that is that feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are important. They're an important part of human beings. They're, they're an important part of God. But, but they're not facts. And something can be very real. You can feel it as real in the moment. But it doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's true. That just, I mean, as an example, I mean, it's kind of a silly example, but it, you know, it works. Anybody scared of spiders? Spiders? Snakes? Anybody scared of snakes? I am deathly scared of snakes. I mean, I see a snake, I turn into a 12-year-old girl. I scream and run. I mean, it's just, I'm done. I'm done. And, and so, so it, 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 say I walk into a room, you know, and Tyler's sitting back there. Tyler plays a trick on me, and he goes, Snake! And all of a sudden, fear just grips me. You know, I turn into that 12-year-old girl, and I scream and run. Uh, it, that feeling is very real. It's very real. But if there's no snake in the room, it's not true. The truth is there's not a snake there. But the feeling that I was feeling was very real. And so whenever you're in these, uh, especially in conflict, you have to try to maintain a healthy perspective. What is it that I'm just feeling or I'm creating in my own mind and what is real? What is true? What is really, really going on here? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah? With some of y'all? Okay, good. Good. Um... Part of the perspective piece is I think you, we have to always remember that disagreements over time, um, if they're not dealt with, they're just going to build up and compound on each other. That's why it's so important to, remember last week whenever I said share the mundane, share the issues that you have, the struggles that you have, however small they may be. You've got to offload those things and not let those things build up over time. There was a couple that came in one time several years ago. And uh, never forget it. He goes, we're getting a divorce. It's going to happen. We're going to get a divorce. I said, whoa, what are you getting a divorce over? He said, toothpaste. I said, said, toothpaste. You won't roll the toothpaste. We have to ask you to roll the toothpaste. That's literally what he said. 
Now, we all know they're not about to get divorced over toothpaste, right? But for that day, it was the presenting issue. But there were all these small things that built up over time and they wouldn't communicate about them. Wouldn't communicate. Wouldn't talk about them and talk through them. And then also have some give and take in the relationship. And so you've got to deal with those things before they build up over time. One of the best examples I use, my dad used to use this example. It's like, it's like if you just poke someone in the arm in the same place. You know, at first it doesn't hurt. You keep doing that over and over and over and over. It's going to bruise. It's going to get tender. Over and over and over and over and over. And one day, they jump. Right? Or they poke back. Right? Or normally what happens is we blow up. Or we leave. Or we just live in an oppressive relationship. And a lot of times, people choose the third one. Yeah, they'll blow up every now and then. Yeah, they'll try to create some space, but they live in an oppressive relationship. And you know you're in an oppressive relationship when one, one spouse can point out all the faults of the others, but the other one better not say a word about the other spouse. Right? And so you've got to be able to communicate back and forth, even share these things that are struggles along the way, even if they seem small, so they don't build up over time. It's just poke, 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 poke. And that's why you've got to know yourself. You've got to have that growing self-awareness that I talked about last week. Not only that, you've got to know your personality type. Are you aggressive? Are you passive-aggressive? You know, those two just themselves play out very different. Very different. And so, I mean, are you the person that, you know, I'm I'm pretty aggressive person. I'm pretty blunt person, you know, kind of type A, you know. And, uh, and so I know that about myself. So there are times I have to reel that back in, right? Or you may be more passive aggressive. You know, something happens, you don't say anything for a while, and you come back around later. So you've you, you got to know yourself. There has to be self-awareness, and um, you have to give your spouse permission, to say things like, hey, when this topic comes up, here's how you normally respond. Or Here, here's how I receive what you say and how you behave whenever this comes up. You just got to talk about those things and work through those things. Because you want to maintain a healthy perspective, right? Set the ground rules, have a healthy perspective. And then I would say you've, you've got to have a desire to create safe space. Don Ferguson says this, The first goal in marital disagreement is not to solve the problem. It's not. The first goal is not to solve the problem. You must first create safety. Safe space. Here's a good question to ask yourself. Are you actually safe to talk to? Now, I know your answer is, oh, of course, I love them, right? No, 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 are you really? Or are you dismissive, right? Do you get defensive? Do you get argumentative, right? Do you just shut down the conversation? Or are you just smile and nod until they stop? I think it's a really healthy question to ask, am I actually safe to talk to? Do I create safe space for my spouse to have a conversation? Can they actually come to me with that and share things without having to walk on eggshells for the next three days? Right? Make sense? Make sense? That's a, that's a very serious question. And, and to take it even deeper, you know,
again, ask your spouse, how do you receive me in these conversations? How do you receive what I say, my demeanor, verbal, nonverbal, all of that? There's several different ways of listening. Um, they kind of break down into three categories. One is uh, competitive or combative listening. This normally happens, or this type of listening is done when uh, people kind of want to push their own agenda rather than listen to someone else's. Uh, it kinda, it, this happens when um, you're kind of waiting to jump in, waiting to get you know, a pause in the argument so you can go ahead and jump in and get your point made. Or you're not really listening to the person at all, right? You're just formulating your own argument in your head. Another type of listening is passive listening. It, that, that's the kind where you're listening to them, you, you want them to feel like they're being heard, but you really don't want to hear it, you really don't want to entertain it, yeah, you really don't want to do anything as a result of the conversation. And then the third way is active listening or reflective listening, some people call it. Uh, sometimes you'll see kind of the three A's of active listening. I, I insert a fourth in there. Uh, so they are, the, the four A's of active listening are, number one, your attitude. And by attitude, I mean if you really want to hear from your spouse and create safe space to where you can have healthy conversations without someone blowing up or getting defensive or getting, you know, whatever. You, you ha your attitude has to be, my spouse deserves my respect. They deserve it. More than anything else that's going on in the world right now, there's an issue, there's tension, there's conflict, and so they deserve my respect. The second A is attention, and that is you have to eliminate distractions and give them your full attention in that moment. Um, you know, normally we like distractions because they relieve, ten they relieve tension for us. I'll say something about that in a minute. Number three is no assumptions. No assumptions. Um, I don't know if you figured this out about yourself, but you're not a mind reader. And communication can be complicated at times, especially when we're heated. And so asking clarifying questions is very, very helpful. Instead of assuming you completely understand what they're trying to say and all of what they're trying to say and why they're trying to say it, ask them. Ask them. I mean, you've all heard the thing, you know, people will say, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you've heard that, you've probably used that. Start there. Start there. But you've got to ask questions. You see, whenever you make points, you draw lines in the sand. Whenever you, I tell people, bend the line. Turn the line in the sand into a question mark. Bend the line, ask questions, and try to get at clarity there. Don't make assumptions real quick. We want to make assumptions real fast. Oh, I know where that's coming from. I know where that's the, you know. No, no, no. Stay in there. Stay in there. And then number four is agree upon an adjustment that you both will make. Whenever you sit down, there's tension in the conversation. Both of you are actively listening. Right attitude. You respect your spouse. Attention. You take away the distractions. No assumptions. You're asking clarifying questions. And then agree. There has to be agreement. There has to be agreement. Agree upon the adjustments that you are going to make as a result of that conversation. And, and remember, you know, I mean, I love verses that remind us of this truth, like Proverbs 10, 19. It says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. We've got to learn how to listen to each other and listen well. 
you know, we live in this culture where it seems like what we're taught is, you know, you just say what you think, you just say what you feel, you know, and we get keyboard confidence and we put it on social media, you know, because there's, you know, we, there's distance between us and another person or whatever. And, and, and we have to be very careful about that in marriage. There is a difference between being honest and being cruel. There's a difference between being honest about where you are or uh, some uh, tension that you're having in the relationship um, and being insulting, right? So no, you don't just say anything. You don't just say anything. You measure your words, but first seek to listen. Proverbs 12:18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing brings healing. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to speak, there's a time to be silent. And we have to, as we're navigating conflict with our spouse, we have to know when that time is and take turns with that. And take turns with that. So, before you fight, set the ground rules, keep a healthy perspective, create safe space, and then seek to actively listen to each other. Actively listen to each other, alright? So let's talk about the fight. We got into a little bit of that, but... I want to talk about that moment when it is just tense. You know that that moment? You remember the last moment, right? You know, you do know if you've ever fought or you're currently in a fight with your spouse. I mean, not actively right now, but if it happened, you know, pretty recently. Um, you know, if that's going on, you are normal, by the way. You're normal. Congratulations. Um... Again, it's part of life. But that moment of great tension. When we get in that moment of tension, and again, we want to relieve tension a lot of times. When you're in that moment, you've got to remember your ground rules and all that good stuff. But one of the things we've got to learn how to do is pause in the tension. We have got to learn how to pause in the tension. Again, so many times we want to relieve it in some way. And there are many different ways to do that. You can do that with humor. Right? It's very tense. So somebody tries to do something where everybody laughs, you know, or something like that. You can shut down. You can change the subject. You can do it a lot of ways. But we got to learn to pause in that tension and just acknowledge, okay, right now, this is very hard. I, you know, I'm not really, I love you to death, but I'm not really liking you. You're really not liking me. But we're going to pause right here just for a second. And we've got to learn to live a little longer in that tension without trying to relieve it. So back to another rule of Emily in mind. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Notice, notice the verse does not say it's a sin to get angry. It doesn't say that. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. Right? So it's okay to get angry. God gets angry. Just don't sin out of that anger. And then it says, "Don't let the sun go down on your, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger." Um, easiest translation for that: is Don't go to sleep angry. Now we can get into a whole lot of nuances of you know, poetic stuff or whatever. At the end of the day, that's one of our rules. We don't want to go to bed angry. And there's been some nights. So let me tell you. When she's sitting there and I'm sitting there or laying there and it's just like, are we ever going to resolve this? Remember, I remember one night in particular. It's like she's laying in the bed. I'm sitting in the chair at the end of the bed. It's late at night. We're in the bungalow. You know, we lived in 800 square feet. Just like we're never going to resolve this. We're up till 
early in the morning. But we did. We did. We came to an agreement. And then we slept very heavily uh, for a short amount of time. Um, but, but for us, that's one of our rules. But we, we want to pause in that tension. And, and here's the thing. I would say each, each you know, spouse has the privilege or right or responsibility to call time out. You say, okay, this is tense. We need to sit here for a minute. We need to sit here. Now, when it comes to anger, you have to remember that anger can mask other things that are going on. And so as you talk through what you're going through, um, you, you know, other things could come out. I mean, it, people can be angry because they're embarrassed, they're insecure, there's some hurt or past pain, there's shame in some way, they may feel shame from you, inability to be vulnerable, it's hard for some people to be vulnerable, anxiety, stress, inability to compromise. A lot of times there's anger. We just overshadow our inability to compromise. We just get angry because we just want to push past it in some way. Uh, and, and all of this is where self-awareness comes in. We have to be self-aware. Uh, and, and even ask ourselves, you know, what is causing me to be so angry uh, in those moments? And remember this. Um, remember that ultimately your spouse did not make you angry. You know, we say that all the time, they made me angry, right? They could have contributed to it or whatever, but there's normally other stuff going on, and at the end of the day, you only get angry about what you choose to get angry about. See, there's two myths that I think are, that we need to keep in mind. Number one is that people say, oh, I just get mad. I cannot help myself. They just make me mad or they just did this or whatever. You know, I cannot help myself. Um, you have to have enough healthy self-differentiation, dif self there's the word, uh, between people to where they don't have that kind of control over you, even your spouse, okay? And, and so the, the whole idea of they made me angry is no, you let yourself get angry. You have control over that. You have control over that. And so it's this myth that I can't help myself. No, yes you can. Yes you can. I say it all the time around here. You have resurrection power in you. Right? You have the spirit of the living God in you. Yes, you, you can control that. You can. Now, along those same lines, what we do is we look to release that anger in some way. And so a lot of times what we'll do is this thing called venting. And what it means is, you know, you know what venting is. You know, we call somebody else outside the marriage and we just blast them or blast our spouse to them. And then we think we make ourselves feel better. Venting, depending on who you talk to, is actually a myth. It can actually contribute to your anger problems. Because you're still blowing up. You're just not doing it at your spouse. You've just found an outlet for it. And so I would say be careful with that. You know, sometimes, the, you know, I just got to go get with the boys and, you know, we, you know, we just blow off steam, right? Or, you know, I call my girlfriend and I just unload, you know. On it. Well, you got to be careful and manage that because that can actually contribute to you living with constant anger if it's not dealt with in a healthy way. Okay? So you got to learn to pause in the tension. you got to, number two, uh, stay away from combative language. Stay away from language like overgeneralization or exaggerating. Things like, you always, 
Well, no, they don't. You know, you never. No, it's not true. It's not true, right? Uh, I would stay away from you should, you must language whenever you're in the heat of an argument. Uh, again, stay away from mind reading. You can't read their mind. You've got to ask clarifying questions. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. And don't blame. All those things, all they do is escalate the tension. That's all they do. And just don't talk about things from 10 years ago. <laughs> right? Don't dig that stuff up. It's not helpful today. Uh, next is you've got to persevere in the conversation without being cruel or insulting. And I, point, I put that in there. It's just kind of like a sub-point. But I, I point that out just to say it gets really hard not to get mean when there's a lot of tension. And you've got to keep going. It's the biblical word, perseverance. Keep going and don't get cruel, don't get insulting. And then the next one is manage you. Don't manipulate them. Don't, don't, don't try to manipulate them. Manage you in the argument. Okay? You need to manage your emotions, not your spouse's emotions. They own those. Okay? You can't, you can't own them. You have to manage your thoughts, not your spouse's thoughts. You have to manage your words in the heat of an argument, not, you, not your spouse's. And if both of you are doing this, you're going to be, okay, you're going to get to a healthy place, right? But, but manage yours, and you have to manage your nonverbal communication as well. You know? You know what nonverbal communication is. You have to manage that. If you're going to actively listen and work through the tension that you're experiencing. You know, if you're crossing arms, you're pacing around, you're doing all that stuff, you, you're just creating more tension, it's just happening non-verbally. Alright? So, when you get in the fight, pause in that tension. Pause in that tension. Start working through that uh, right there. I know, I know it's hard. Stay away from combative language. Keep going. Persevere in the conversation. Just don't get cruel. Don't insult. And then manage you. Manage you. Don't manipulate them. After the fight. Four things. Um, number one. Forgive fast. Real fast. That's even a great rule. We're going to forgive as fast as possible. Unforgiveness, as you know, will eat you alive. And when you're living with someone who you haven't forgiven, it's going to eat you alive ten times faster. You see them every day, good and bad. And so you've got to learn how to forgive fast. And here's the thing, if you don't forgive, if you don't forgive, you may hide it really well for a while, but something's going to trigger that unforgiveness and it's going to come out. Normally in one of these tense moments, you may pull it up from the past. So you've got to learn to forgive, authentically forgive, and do it quickly. Do it quickly. You do not hold that against them. You do not think about it every time you see them. I mean, I believe in forgiveness. I believe in radical forgiveness. And I believe that God can give that kind of forgiveness for anything. Okay? I've seen it. Experienced a lot of it. Alright? And so, forgive fast. Number two, reassure each other quickly. 
reassure each other quickly. I don't know how you reassure your spouse. I don't know what that looks like. It could be, I love you, we're okay, come here, give me a hug. I, mean, I don't know what it is. It's, hey, let's just go sit on the porch together. Whatever it is, you've got to come back together and reassure one another fast, real fast. And then number three is move on. Move on. You don't want to move on with a wound. That's why forgiveness is so important. Right? Because, I mean, we all know medically open wounds, that's no good. Same thing with emotional wounds, spiritual wounds. All right, that's no good. But you want to get to that place where you can move on. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, lingering emotions will follow your positive actions. That's what I mean by move on. So let the action... See, we, we think emotions drive our actions. They don't have to. They don't have to. Your, your actions can drive your emotions. If you've had a fight, it's been tense, you've worked through that, go sit close to each other. Go, go sit on the couch and hold hands. Close proximity. We talked about that last week. Create that close proximity real fast. Real fast. So that you can move on in a way. And sometimes you just sit there. You're just sitting there. Right? But create that close proximity so you can move on. Let the actions dictate the emotions. The emotions will come along. They'll come along. All right? And that's what love is, by the way, in the Bible. Love is not mainly an emotion. I said the uh, Hebrew word for love is covenant faithfulness. It's more about what God does. And then the emotions are there as well. It, it, and same thing for us. It's what we do, and then our emotions will catch up with our godly actions. That makes sense? Very, very important. And then the last thing I'll say about after the fight is this. Um, if one person always wins the argument, your marriage loses. Remember I said, talked about oppressive relationships, right? Either leave, you blow up, or you live in an oppressive relationship. When you get to that place where there's one dominant person, they always win the argument, they always get their way. At the end of the day, oh yes, you're always right, or whatever it is. Could be male or female, husband or wife. When you get to that place where one person always wins, your marriage is losing big time. Big time. And that's a telltale sign that you're unhealthy, the marriage is unhealthy, and it may be in trouble. And you probably need some help. Need some help. And so, post-fight, I'll end with that one to say, that's something for you to talk about. Is, is there someone who seems to always win? If so, that's a clue for you. That's a clue for you. That there needs to be some deeper conversation that we have here. Because we don't, we don't want the male to win. We don't want the female to win. We want the marriage to win. We want the marriage to win and thrive. We want the two to become one. Right? Not the two to face off and there's always one winner. Or predominantly one winner. Right? So, everybody's going to fight. You're going to do it. The question is, how well are you going to do it? How well are you going to do it? Um, my prayer is that as we go from this night, and we're going to talk about callings next week and other things, um, but as, as you leave here, 
you know, have that conversation about what does it look like for us to fight well? And what are some rules we need to have in place? How can we do that? And then give each other permission to speak openly. Hey, you know, you really shut down on me. Or you, you know, you really blow up on me. Or whatever it may be. Uh, have that conversation without blowing up or shutting down. But have that conversation in a healthy way. And then the next time you go into an argument, a disagreement, a fight, or whatever, uh, you may see a different result and you may see it resolved a lot more quickly. A lot more quickly. Does this make sense? Yeah? Y'all going to come back next week? Yeah? Wonderful. Wonderful. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. Emily, I'm going to invite you to come up and pray for us. Chumming? Man. Golly. It was so bad. Listen, I, I ate scrambled eggs and smoked salmon that morning. Twelve times in the water. It was a lot of smoked salmon. It was right by his side. So, just saying. Thank you, guys. All right. Um, oh, they're giving you a hand there. <laughs> um, let's pray together, and then I would like to, that was kind of a heavy topic tonight, so we're going to pray, and then I would like to end on, on a light, fun note, but then also wrap up at the very end um, with a challenge and maybe a brief homework assignment for us. So let's pray. Um, Lord, we come to you tonight and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for getting us here. Sometimes just getting here in the busyness of our lives is a challenge. So we just thank you that we have come and we have put ourselves before you, Lord. We've opened our hearts to hear what you have to say um, through Chris and, and in your word to us on how we can be a better spouse. And Lord, I just thank you for each person that's in here right now. God, I just pray your blessings on them, their families, their relationship, their marriage, Lord. I just pray, God, your, your blessings on that, Father. And I pray for the relationships in here that need healing, Lord, that you would do a mighty work and a mighty healing in those, Lord. And um, those that need your touch in any special way, I just ask you to move in our hearts right now. And all of us, God, I just pray that we would seek you and Christ first in your face and your character, God. And as we're exploring together as a church the fruit of the Spirit, I just pray that we would feel those coming from us towards our spouses, Lord. I just pray that um, your character in us would come out of us when we're in the midst of conflict and disagreement. God, I pray that each couple would uh, take time this week to talk about the things that we've learned, to prepare for disagreements that will no doubt arise, and to be ready for those, and to handle those in a Christ-honoring way. Lord, we just thank you for our church and pray your blessings on it, Lord. And um, I, I just ask you to bring us all back safely together on Sunday. We look forward to worshiping you and just thank you for the opportunity to freely do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me pull out my phone to get our lighthearted fun started. I told y'all I'm a teacher by profession, so that can get a little cheesy at times. All right, let's see. I can get my technology going here. Right. Can we get our contestants to come on up? The pre-selected. Can y'all name that theme song? Can you name that theme song? 
Match game. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the not so newlywed game. We've got some not so newlyweds up here. Would you mind to move those back for us? Okay, so I'm going to give them the mic and let them tell us a little bit about themselves. Maybe just names, how long you've been married, how long you've been at the church, or something like that. And then we're going to see who is the best not so newlywed couple. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, yes, good to go first. My name is Micah Williams. This is my wife, Stephanie. We've been married nine, going on ten years. This coming March will be ten years for us. And we've been coming to Fraser ever since early November, somewhere mm -hmm. in there, around the holidays. So. Oh, what he said. <laughs> uh, my name is Jordan Travis. Um, this is my wife Megan. We've been married eight years, going on nine, and we have been in the church since 2010. 2010, and I've been here since 1986. Hi, my name's Kyle Bowling. This is my wife Melanie. We've been married ten, going on eleven years. Uh, we've been at Frazier for two. Ah, very good, very good. Okay, to get us started, this is going to be a non-traditional, not-so-newlywed game, and y'all probably seen this done. I'm going to ask all of our participants to take off their shoes <laughs> and to also turn your chairs back to back so you can't see one another. Have y'all seen this done before? All right, to make it a little more participatory, while I'm going to be asking them questions, you can play out there with your spouse for fun. So when I ask them, you know, which person, blah, blah, you can point to each other and see if you know the answer for your spouse as well. Now, I'm not going to be keeping official score so y'all are going to help me kind of eyeball which couple you think is doing the best job and, and we'll just see if we can kind of maybe pick the strong winner at the end and maybe the strong loser. They already know how to do it, so they're swapping. So you see each person has um, the husband's shoe and the wife's shoe. So if you've seen this done before, I'm going to read a question and what you'll do is you're going to raise the shoe for who you think that applies to. Don't look, I'll come stand in the middle, don't look at your spouse, okay? No cheating. Remember what we said last year. You're a loser if you do that. Or last year, last, last week. Now, it might be that you think, oh, neither one of us does that, so don't raise a shoe. If you think both of us do that, raise both. Okay? Otherwise, the husband or the wife. Okay? Y'all help me watch. All right? I think I'll stand behind y'all. Okay, question number one. And again, y'all play out there in the audience. Point to your spouse if you would like to. Okay, who fell in love first? Okay, you can turn, after, after a minute, you can turn and look and see how you did. Okay, all right, okay. Okay, number two, who is the first to apologize? <laughs> okay, everybody got that one right. Very good, you can turn and take a look. Are y'all playing out there? All right, who has the cleanest car? <laughs> Wait, oh, he, he said nobody on that one. <laughs> All right, very good, very good. Okay, who saves more money? <laughs> oh, we had two opposite answers on the hands there. Okay, what about who talks the most? Oh, oh, they all got that one right. <laughs> who is more organized? Okay, y'all got it right. Y'all got that one opposite, Stephanie. All right, what about who takes the longest showers? 
<laughs> I like that participation out there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> y'all got it opposite. Oh, okay, okay. Who has the crazier family? Crazier family? <laughs> Both. He said yours. <laughs> oh, what about who spends more time on social media? <laughs> Y'all are opposite on that one. <laughs> Who does the most around the house? Oh! <laughs> Wait, he has both and you have neither. <laughs> okay. Who do you trust more behind the wheel? All right, that was it. That hit a nerve. Okay, who's a night owl? Oh, y'all got that one? Opposite? Got that? Okay. <laughs> All right, what about who's more of a dog person? I love the pointing y'all are doing out there. Very good. Oh, we've got a bunch of neithers? Okay, and then um, he said him. Okay, what about who would rather be outdoors? Opposite. Opposite, guys. Oh, no. I think y'all are losing. Okay. <laughs> All right. What about who's more likely to fall asleep in front of the TV? Oh, y'all got one. Oh, everybody got that one. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Just a couple of more. Who's more stubborn? <laughs> Hands flying up out there. <laughs> Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning of this that the point of doing this was we're going to initiate conflict in three couples and let them work that out tonight. It's working. It's working. <laughs> okay, who would be the first to lose their keys or most likely to lose their keys? Their car keys. Oh, y'all are opposites on that. I think y'all might be first place. Okay. We have three more. Who is louder? Uh, everybody got that one. All right. What about who is more likely to be late? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. And the last question. Who is more likely to talk their way out of a speeding ticket? He said both. All right, all right, very good. Okay, you guys were, gonna, were kind of watching, so what we're going to do, I'm going to have you tell me based on what you saw with a little round of the applause, who was probably the winner. Okay, all right. Was it, was it these guys? Most right. Was it these guys? Okay. What about Mike and Stephanie? What about the bowlings? Okay, but um, you won, but being that I'm a teacher and nowadays everybody is a winner, you get in trouble, you all get a prize. Okay, now, your prize is a Sour Patch Kids to share. <laughs> Good job. Thank y'all for being in sports. You know, why don't y'all just stay here for a second and we'll just, um, we'll close out with y'all up here. 
So thank y'all for participating. That was that was cute. Y'all were fun. Um, those of you with children here, they're doing July Jam till eight. So you have childcare. <laughs> Take advantage of that. So um, stay in here and visit with other couples. Go in the church and find a quiet spot and talk about some things that we have discussed tonight. There are lots of spaces in the church for that. You know, two things that I wrote down that I think all of us need to um, think about tonight while it's fresh in our minds. Um, and talk about that. You have time. You have childcare right now to do that. What ground rules could we set right now tonight for when we have a fight or disagreement in the future? And Chris gave some examples of those. But if, if you don't have those in place, what are some things that you could set? And also, um, he asked us to all ask ourselves, am I a safe space for my spouse during a disagreement? Do I listen well? Am I received well when I speak back? So uh, I encourage you tonight before you leave to talk about those questions together, discuss them with others if you would like, but um, we're going to conclude tonight and wrap up next week for our final session, so thank y'all for coming out. It has been fun. All right. Buenas noches. Nos vemos la próxima semana.